0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Abbe, very dear faithful, Today we continue our November sermons on eschatology, on the last things, that which concerns each human life from the conclusion of our earthly life until eternity. In the last weeks, we have looked at heaven, purgatory, and hell. Today we are going to look at what immediately precedes each of these places of reward or punishment. So today we will look at death and the particular judgment. God created us in his image and likeness, and as such, he never destined us to die. God never dies, and so according to his will in the Garden of Eden, we were never to die, but at the end of our earthly life, we would have gone to be with our Lord in heaven. It was the gift of bodily immortality in the state of primitive justice that prevented our, in, that prevented our corruptible flesh from decomposing. God warned Adam, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. For in what days soever that thou shalt eat of it, thou shalt die the death. Death is a divine chastisement for original sin as related in Genesis in which we hear on Ash Wednesday when the ashes are placed on our forehead for dust thou art and into dust thou shalt return. Then following Adam's fall, our corruptible flesh is allowed to follow the course of nature to its destruction causing death. Through Adam's sin, all of humanity inherits original sin, as St. Paul tells us. for as by one man, sin entered into this world, and by sin, death. And so death passed upon all men, in whom all have sinned. Next, what exactly is death? Death is the separation of the soul and body. As such... It can never be exactly verified by science which can only observe the material phenomenon and not the spiritual the soul is the form of the body that which animates the body when the body can no longer be the matter for us humans when it can no longer has the potential to be animated by the soul death is imminent not only is brain death not true as it was created in order to harvest organs, but even at the point of complete cessation of our vitals, we do not know exactly when the soul leaves the body. Thus, a priest can give extreme unction up to three hours following the cessation of complete function of the bodily organs. At death, two things happen. First, our body, no longer animated by the soul follows the course of nature and decomposes and waits in the tomb until the day of the resurrection of our body thus the church out of respect for the former temple of the holy ghost sanctified by the sacraments and a receptacle of the holy eucharist forbade the pagan practice of cremation secondly at death the soul is then placed in the state of the end. It can no longer merit or demerit, no longer change its eternal disposition toward God, no longer modify its eternal destination. At this point, the soul is eternally destined to heaven or hell. Our Lord, speaking of the night of death, said, I must work the works of him that sent me, whilst it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And St. Cyprian of Carthage said, When you have left this life, it will be too late to repent. Then the repentance will be too late. It is here that we save or damn ourselves forever. It is here that we assure our salvation in persevering in the faith and the service of God. While we are in this life, repentance is never too late. Thus, we must reject the heresies of Apocatistas taught by Origen, who denied that the damned will be in hell forever. We also reject the heresy of reincarnation, which deny that at death, one can be fixed against God for eternity, thinking that we can repent after death or do enough penance to then go to heaven. We humans are composed of body and soul, and as such can only merit and demerit so long as they are united. Once they are separated at death, we can no longer act in a human way, and thus we can no longer merit and demerit. Thus, the Magisterium teaches that the human soul, immediately at its separation from the body at death, is judged of all its good and bad actions during its earthly life when it was united to the body. From the last voluntary act of our life on earth, we are fixed for all eternity, either towards the divine good or obstinate for all eternity in rejecting God and choosing evil. From the last act of our will on earth, our soul will be fixed in its choice forever. Next, let us treat of a wildly held novelty, that of final illumination. This novelty claims that at the moment of death, everyone will receive a special illumination of grace of God, which permits him or her to choose between good or evil, between heaven or hell, as one last chance of repentance. However, there is no text of revelation that goes in this sense, neither in Holy Scripture nor in the Church Fathers. Actually, it contradicts the teaching of the Church that declares immediately after death, the soul will appear before God to be judged. Implicit in in this idea of a special final illumination is a rejection of the justice of God and condemning someone to eternal punishment. We will die as we live. If we reject God our entire life, rejecting his call to repentance, we are not owed anything by God and adds and adds as the sinner will not and often the sinner will not repent on their deathbed. Sin dulls the mind and weakens the will, and most sinners have their conscience so dulled, they are no longer, in, they think they are no longer in need of conversion. The novelty of this idea of a final illumination is also very close to the dangerous heresy of Pelagianism, which was present in the early church that denied original sin and denied that we need God's grace for salvation stating that we can be good enough on our own nature and do not need God's grace for salvation. Salvation is a gift, and as such, we are not owed God's grace. However, he will give it, but it is not something that we should presume upon in disrespect and presumption of his love. Thus, we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, yet trusting in God's goodness, who, through the sacraments, vivifies our interior repentance and inflames our hearts with his charity so that we persevere in his grace. Next, we come to the second topic of today's sermon, that of the particular judgment. Each human, immediately at their death, will be judged by God in a particular and individual judgment of which the sentence will be irrevocable. This judgment will be relative to our merits and demerits attributed to our soul during its earthly life. Against the Protestants, who believe that souls sleep until the final judgment, immediately following the death, the soul is already determined in its eternal abode. We know that the particular judgment is immediately after death, as we read in the parable of the rich man and the beggar. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died, and he was buried in hell. St. Paul also confirms, And it is appointed unto men only once to die, and after this the judgment. Not only is the particular judgment scriptural, but St. Thomas also says it is a fitting example of God's justice because each man is at the same time a distinct person and also a part of the whole human race. Each must be the object of two different judgments. One judgment will be individual, which takes place after death, when he is judged according to that which he did in his corporal life. This judgment will be done only in part as his body will not yet be present. The second judgment will be passed on him as part of the whole human race at the end of time in the general judgment. Though our body will not be present for the particular judgment which awaits the resurrection of the body, it is our rational soul that is truly the source of merit and demerit, and as such should be either rewarded or chastised for its actions. Thus, there is no reason to wait for the resurrection of the body before our soul is judged. Now, who will be our judge, and how will he appear at the particular judgment? Though we Catholics love St. Peter, we need to put aside the idea that he will either let us in the pearly gates, or refuse our entrance. Jesus is our judge, and he will execute the sentence. Jesus Christ, the God-man, is our judge for three reasons. First, he is the creator, and he created us for our beatitude with him. To judge the goodness of an act, the act must be measured by its determination to the good or evil. God is the final end as our beatitude. Thus, he is the perfect judge of each act, either toward him or away from him. As such, our actions either glorify and honor him, respecting the reason of our creation and our actions, or they offend him by sin. Second, Jesus is our judge because he is our redeemer, who, as the God-man, opened the gates of salvation and was instituted to be our judge of the living and the dead. It is especially as human that Christ will be our judge, as St. Peter said, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Thirdly, Christ will be the judge as he must be viewed by those that are condemned or the defendant. If Christ appears under the form of his divinity, he would not be able to be seen by the intelligence of sinners who do not have his grace. Thus, Christ will appear as judge under the form of his sacred humanity, though not under the form of his passion, but under the form of his luminous body of glory to manifest the power of the gospel. Analogous to the tribunal of human justice, the particular judgment will compose three things. First, the inquiry of the case. Second, the pronouncement of the sentence. And thirdly, the execution of that sentence. Christ is the king of kings, and to him, by the excellence of his reign, lies the charge of the judicial power as he confirms and Jesus coming spoke to them saying all power is given to me in heaven and on earth During the examination the justice of God will penetrate each human action and manifesting its good qualities and its flaws each action or emission each thought each desire each passion each movement of the intellect will and body will be examined according to the rule of God's righteous law. St. Paul says, All must be manifested before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone receive the proper things of the body, according as he hath done, whether it be good or evil. As the body will not be present at the particular judgment, the judgment will be done mentally and not by vision. From the incarnate word, the soul receives the sentence, mentally seeing all its being from deep in the most intimate and profound parts of its being. In front of the divine justice of Christ, the soul is obliged by the evidence of the case to recognize the justice of its sentence. The just will be perfectly grateful to God as he is the cause and source of their justification. On the other hand, even the damned will perfectly grasp that they are the cause of their self-damnation, misusing their freedom and turning away from eternal happiness. The judgment of Christ will only make manifest the irrevocable choice each soul made for the last end at the moment of death, irrevocable choice that determines their eternal adhesion to the good or evil. And then immediately following this sentence, the soul will be sent to its assigned determination, which will be both a place and state either in heaven, purgatory, or hell. My dear faithful, we live in a world that loves to put the blame on others. Animated with the Christian virtue of humility, let us take a deep look inside ourselves and ask God for the gift of repentance so that we can strive to correct our own faults for which we will be judged. No longer putting the finger at anyone else, let us remember that Christ will address us individually for our works. When we accept death as a just punishment for our sins, with its bitterness, we not only expiate our sins, but we grow in merit because we further our union with Christ, who himself died for us. Death for us Christians isn't something to be feared, but accepted with a humble and loving embrace in God's divine providence for what we all must experience. While we have the light of day, remembering that faith without works is dead, let us store up for ourselves treasure in heaven so that we can confidently see death as a mere passing into eternity, where we hope in God's mercy to receive our eternal reward with him in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.